Warning. This episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bismiex. Listeners, I'm excited to welcome back another repeat guest. Premi Muhammad is the author of Beneath the Rising and A Broken Darkness, among many other things. Premi, welcome to the show again. Hi, Hilary. Thank you so much for inviting me again. Yeah, it was so much fun having you on, and I knew that it was going to have to happen again, and I'm so glad it's happening now for this reason. Me too. I'm excited to chat books, and possibly whales. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, anything is possible. It is a podcast. Before we get started, I do want to say for the benefit of our listeners who do not have the visual that I am, as I said before we started recording, wearing the most on-brand possible outfit for this recording. I have dinosaurs on my socks, I have beetles on my leggings, I have octopuses on my shirt. And I, thinking that uh, it was a podcast and no one would be able to see my outfit, uh, (laughs) did not wear anything themed. I am not cool. (laughs) You're exceedingly cool. That's why I had you on the show. Oh my god, thank you. Hashtag endorsement. Hashtag endorsement. So, Primi, you're going to be reading to us from And What Can We Offer You Tonight? Is that correct? Uh, So yes, I will be reading from my Neon Hemlock Press novella, uh, And What Can We Offer You Tonight, which came out in uh, July 2021. Hooray! The dead girl woke and asked for her perfume, and we (laughs) gave it to her, and she slept again. And when she did so, I felt glad I had not let anyone rifle through her things, as often happened before the funeral. Someone might have been wearing her scent at the ceremony, but... No one was. So now she lies on my bed with her blue-white hand curled around the glowing vial. The one thing she wanted. Nero sniffs, leans a shoulder gingerly against the doorway, avoiding his newly implanted wings. They do that with dinoflagellates, you know. It's something (laughs) special. Don't be jealous, I tell him. Of course, he cannot help it. He is very young. And anyway, we are all of us a little rattled right now. I would say that none of us are really acting like ourselves. Not really. Someone needs to tell. Someone whispers just outside the cracked door of my room. And someone whispers back, Shh, what is wrong with you? And someone else adds, What the fuck is wrong with you? For now, I think the secret is safe. But the owners of our house will find out at some point. Not from me. And not for my fellow courtesans, and need has nothing to do with what we do anyway, does it? Ever. Has it. Ever. Nero gets up to stand watch in the hallway, and that leaves me in here with the dead girl who is not dead. Hmm. This morning, we crept out to the abandoned church, a dignified flotilla, ten and twenty and thirty, and at the last, perhaps forty boats bobbing in the dark with our red lanterns. And for a moment, it was pretty and calm. Nero smiling for the first time in days, balancing lightly in the prow and holding up his light like a statue and, Sit down, sit down, fool, hisses (laughs) from the back. 
the others disliking the rocking on the flat, oily water. And then the church loomed ahead, a grand, jagged ruin bleeding rust into the slow-lapping sea. We made mooring on silken ribbons and entrusted the boats to the god of the beautiful dead. The steps have been vanishing year by year, but we still splashed up the last few and passed through the great doors and down the aisle, the coffin already waiting on the altar. And inside... Some of us walked, and some of us paddled, not thrashing or kicking over much, so that the sound of the sea could enter also. Hmm. Our church has been our church for generations. No one knows how it all began, this, uh, this dark procession, the laying out of the body. It occurred to me that these things, to prepare the dead, to gather in the act of mourning, are among the hardest to shift in a people. That they move slowly and stubbornly, and that people cling to the practices they know for centuries, millennia, through famine, war, assimilation, invasion, colonization, plague, decline, despair. What cataclysm drove us to this broken place? Was it whole then? I feel certain it wasn't. Our rituals are too set in stone. Cemeteries in the city have mostly been built over, the, the standard practice and the standard process. Leveling, compaction, low areas filled with waste, high areas brought low. The few left are guarded like prisons, and only for the use of the very rich. No one says anything about that, no one ordinary. Everyone just puts their dead into a canal. Lots of those around. Free, too. Once, I know, there was an idea of eternal life or life after death but everyone has abandoned that idea except them uh, the rich i mean who are like another species we have not even given our god a name maybe in another thousand years <laughs> on the thick particle board of the coffin we placed flowers and on the damp and crawling walls we hung the necessary artifacts each giving as tradition specified something about the deceased but also something of ourselves a single earring, rendering its mate back at the house useless. One glove. A painting, or a scrap of sheet music. A lock of hair. A prized lipstick. To represent her finest skills, those of which she was most proud, some illustrated the walls in grease pencil, or tacked up the packaging of toys or whips, hoarded specially for memorials, and set aside for these days. Hmm. And the priest did not bid us be quiet, because we are told to be quiet often enough. And he also gave us no name for that reason, because it is only in mourning that we use the names we like, instead of the names we were given when we were purchased. Each part of the ritual has a purpose, and each successful step has a consequence for the dead. So, for duty's sake, we played the game as it was necessary to be played, and the priest blessed the final piece, and placed it on the flat, glossy lid of the coffin. It was nearly sunrise. The funerals always happen at sunrise. That, too, is our tradition. Someone once said, Yes, now, when we are set free like fairies in a story from our bondage and fly the wide woods. But that is itself a fairy story. We are still bound. This place is the only one we can visit. And the owners of the house look away from our transgression like they look away from death. And the sky is blue-black as a bruise, and the water is the same, and between them very often is a single knife-thin slice of gold sun, more beautiful than any metal, and any gem at House of Vicieri, and more beautiful than any of us, and more beautiful than any of our clients. 
and one of the new girls was crying and disoriented. She had been sick on the boat, and luckily her dress was still clean, because we must present ourselves in the church as clean and proud. But she said, this isn't how funerals go. This isn't how they go. And someone questioned her and was stunned to discover that she had attended one as a little girl. And I, too, was stunned. Till I began at the house, I had never heard of a funeral. I repeat... Mm. You paid your respects to the family, and you gave them a few credits if you had them, and then the body was weighted and sunk in the closest canal. Instead, this girl, crying, saying this was not what she remembered, her family must have been wealthy. I wondered how she had come to the house. Uh, Not something we ever ask, that's the rule. That information is only offered freely and only to friends. For you don't climb to us, you fall only, you don't climb. She had fallen, or been thrown. Now she would never rise again. A long, sad time, never. Someone comforted her, and we clambered upon the rounded backs of the pews to begin the last of the rites. Someone passed around a bag of sweets. Someone passed around a flask of liquor. Wrists rose pale in the darkness and were blessed with a dab of scent. We were defiant. We were dressed for no client, scented for no client. We had lit up our implants and fed our hair for no client only to honor the dead girl who we all loved. And the priest said, blessed are the bodies. And we said, whose bodies? And he said, yours, yours. And the girl who had been crying looked up all surprised and dried her face and recomposed herself. Good girl, you fell far, I wanted to tell her, but you have fallen into our arms and we will carry you as best we can. Hence this secret ceremony, hence the priest we pay from our own earnings, Hence the boats, the finery, the coffin itself. The house will not let us have this, and the city will not let us have this, but have this we must for those very reasons. Hmm. In the distance, small red lights, looping regular patterns like the flight of a moth, a govy cull in the lows, popular neighborhood for it. They can get their quota in a day or two and then lays around the rest of Hmm. the month. A curse upon their name, a pox upon them. We could not be touched by a call. The house made us safe, but all of us had left someone behind. May they sicken and die. May they go unremembered. And the priest said, This, your friend Winfield. And at hearing her name, she stirred and sat up and pushed open the coffin, and flowers spilled off her like water, roses, jasmine, lilies, honeysuckle, and the ugly rip they had made to fake an autopsy tore open its lazy stitches and filled with blossoms. No one screamed, but we are trained to control our screams. And in looking back, actually, I was very proud at our silence, which was stunned, but absolute. <laughs> and she tried to get out of the coffin, but could not. The priest fainted. We climbed from the pews and propped him up out of the water and took her home. Give her to me, I said then, and because I have been in the house for so long, because I am nearly 30 years old, they obeyed me, or obeyed my seniority, at any rate. (laughs) Before the ceremony, I hissed and whisked people away from her room. Now I probably will not need to. Even those who did not attend and do not know what to fear will have the vague knowledge that if the road to mortality runs two ways now, that if she is not alive and she is not dead, her room is certainly filled with numinous spirits. I asked for her without a plan in mind, but we'd better do something. Demand is high to get in the house of Bicchieri, perhaps the highest in all the city, and the owners will not let the room languish without an occupant for long. It's not making a profit while it's empty of a warm and willing body. 
I leave Winfield on top of the silk-stitched duvet, hoping she's comfortable, hoping she will die again and solve this, <laughs> and speak softly to such as I think I can trust, and they agree to pack up her things, conceal them piecemeal in their rooms, and safeguard them till we know what we are dealing with here. No one says, but what are we dealing with? The answer is too terrible. A girl who was dead and then was not. I think I'll stop there. <sighs> That gives me chills again. <laughs> and I read this whole thing because you were so kind as to provide me with an arc when I had already pre-ordered it. Oh, thank you for pre-ordering. Of Authors course. Like pre-orders. <laughs> pre-orders are how we show the authors that we love that we love them. And pre-orders are also how we show the small presses that we support that we love them and want them to succeed. And Neon Hemlock is absolutely one of those. They absolutely are. Um, I am... I've had the, the good fortune to have both you and uh, your host for your launch party, uh, Lee Harlan, who is coming on later this month on the show. Uh, and... I did not realize the uh, synchronicity of that event when I booked the two of you for this month, but it worked out quite well. That did work out. That's so funny. <laughs> um, so one of the questions that I really like asking in book tours specifically, uh, because this is a story that is not in the trunk, is... <laughs> What is one of your favorite parts from this book that you had to leave out of the final edit? Oh, there were so many, but I just, I felt, you know, um, all, all writers really have to go with as our intuition. I just felt that what I wanted to put in wasn't appropriate to the length and I wanted to keep it a novella, even though this could have mm. been a novel, but, um, Primarily, I wanted uh, to put in some backstory. I wanted to explain um, how the city got this way, maybe mm -hmm. what other cities looked like. Is this the situation everywhere, or is it like the you know the Mad Max theory, where um, you know Australia is the only one that went full Mad Max, and mm -hmm. everyone else in the world, it turns out, is fine, but Australia doesn't know that. <laughs> So Australia civilization has just ended there. Excuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so to get more into that, but uh, in the end, I think uh, I sketched as much of the city as I felt fit into the story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there is a thousand stories I could tell about everything else in the city. Uh, we were talking about this at the launch party, actually, because uh, I think uh, Lee mentioned they would like to see um, you know, maybe a whole story about the old lady who sits up on the roof guarding her garden. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what does the city think about those gardens? How do people eat? Um, is any kind of aid provided? Are people able to look after each other? What's the economy like down there? We already know it's not good. Mm -hmm. um, we already know there's people being you know, killed. But also I wanted to include um, some backstory about um, the, the three main characters, uh, Winfield and Jewel and Nero. Um, mm -hmm. And I just couldn't find a way to put it in there gracefully in a way that wasn't a, a detraction from what they're doing now, mm -hmm. kind of. And almost, I, I felt like 
you know, of course, characters aren't real people. We make them up. But almost I felt like, especially in Jewel and Nero's case, they would rather that people didn't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it it is uh, just an extremely tightly written book, too. Uh, Which is, you know, I, I spread it out over a couple of nights partly as a treat to myself to, like, (laughs) live in that world for longer, but it is something that you could easily read in an afternoon. Yeah, it's about, uh, it's, yeah, it's short even for a novella. It's about 20, 21,000 words, I think. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is the right length for that book. And at the same time, uh, you know, with what Lee was saying, I want to know who's friends with the big fish. Someone's <laughs> someone's friends with the huge fish. I wanted to, like, and we were also talking about that, you know, uh, <laughs> if, if I did kind of a dystopian old man in the sea with somebody trying to catch one of those big canal fish and it's just going terribly, terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and same with the kids. What, what are they doing running outside at all hours and talking to strangers? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and maybe... Something about the uh, the ultra-rich clients. How how do they live? How do they interact with the city? Uh, what are their attitudes towards the poor? How is mm-hmm. their economy sustained? You know, of course, we know what's sustained on the back of all these right. non-rich people. But, um, you know, what does what does that look like? How did this happen? <laughs> it's, it is so wild that, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this, like a week after Bezos took his dick ship into the sky for five minutes of weightlessness and Branson also went suborbital and neither of them are actually astronauts. Uh, Yeah, the timing. (laughs) It is, I mean, it is wild, but it is also just 2021. There's no way around, like, some massive display of wealth inequality being yeah. going on right when we're talking about this. Yeah, and and of course right after, you know, a very well publicized disastrous climate change related yeah. uh floods and storms and uh the smoke that blanketed the entire coast and caused me to have to hole up in my yep. place with all the windows and doors shut and towels stuffed underneath it. Currently, like, very, very much fiddling while Rome burns. Yeah. Currently, my part of California is not on fire, and I am <laughs> knocking on wood that it remains that way for the foreseeable future, but it's only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I yeah. think we feel the same way. Like, I'm in the city, and we're still being told, you know, just uh, get your mask ready for the annual smoke season. Get Literally, get an air purifier. If you're at the outskirts of the city, get a go bag that you can survive on for 72 hours because you're going to be the ones on fire first. <laughs> yeah. Woof. And it is also, uh, it, it's very uh, fitting the story that L.D. Lewis just brought on the show for uh, this most recent episode before yours was a flooding city and, you know people trying to live on the backs of, like, trying to live however they can in a district that's just flooded. Yeah. Uh, It's 
Oh, it's so much, but it is. I'm glad that we have art to talk about it in a Me way too. that is like can be abstracted enough that we can look at and look at it and say this is bad without just throwing our hands up and saying, "But what can we do about it?" Yeah. Well, I prefer a lot dealing with this through art, I think, because I am also dealing with this right now in my day job. Yep. And reading these um, these risk assessment papers all day, looking at the modeling data, um, looking at, like, all this morning I spent on probability calculations, and I just... If, um, if I was the type that was prone to climate doomerism, um, this would make me quit my job and quit writing and quit everything and just lie on the floor with my legs curled in mm -hmm. like a dead bug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes we need floor time anyway, but yeah. like, you know, less, <laughs> less dooming way and a more like just sort of centering way. I think so. Well, and also, and that would have also been interesting, I think, to explore in a spin-off story, which is, again, the city is flooded. It probably wasn't designed to be a flooded city. It's not Venice. Mm -hmm. um, how did this happen? And what was the process of people realizing that they had to cope with this and live with this because there was simply nothing they could do about it? And mm -hmm. that's a story I really want to write. And I wonder, again, if that would fit into a novella type length. Yeah. Because that's the nice thing about novellas is you could explore a couple of ideas and then you kind of close the door, you know, at the start and at the end um, and say, okay, that's it. That's the full scope. Mm -hmm. of, and, and that's exactly how much it takes is, you know, 17,500 to 40,000 words. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, a length I love. <laughs> also, the archaeology of that, that, you know, we're in here in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's tons of stuff that is just built on oh somebody parked their ship here during the gold rush and it just kind of got covered over yeah. and you know the the office building that i worked out of in the before times is just on infill and would fall into the bay in a strong enough earthquake which you know super fun when you're working at the top of that building <laughs> probably trying not to uh, think about it. <laughs> yeah, generally just sort of like look out in the direction of the freeway and moan about the traffic instead of the, you know, impending doom of a big shaker's gonna bring this whole place down. Yeah, and, and I think that's where I gave into a little bit of temptation at the start of the novella and talked about the construction of the rich people's uh, cemeteries, you mm -hmm. know, which is... You know, a cemetery, when you when you sit right down and think about it, it feels wasteful. It feels like a waste of land. But the only people who can waste anything in, in this novella's future are the rich. Mm -hmm. So they are, you know, building up, building down, leveling, compacting, and saying, this belongs to us now, and we're going to use it for, you know, not even a park, not growing food, <laughs> not anything like that. We're going to use it for a cemetery, specifically because we know that poor people cannot use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woof. So um, this this leads me into perhaps the harder question, which is, what is your, if you had to pick just one, and I know that's difficult, what is your favorite part that you did get to leave in? I would say probably, um, I think I would say probably the scene where uh, Jewel and some of the others are at the pool 
and the owners come in to announce this uh, this gala, this party oh. that is, I don't know, I just, I got both such bad vibes from uh-huh. that scene, but such good literary vibes. Like, this is a scene that makes me viscerally uncomfortable to write. God, I'd better put it in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just stretch I, out I... That, that discomfort and that tension and that that pain and that judgment and awkwardness as long as I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a I, terrible in, scene. <laughs> in in a way of like, you know, loving things that are really just like painful. I adored that scene because it was just, like you said, it's just like so viscerally uncomfortable. And you know, you know, as, as Jewel is realizing or a moment before Jewel is realizing this bad thing, you, the reader, are sitting there like, oh, well, Oh, fuck. no. Oh, blech. So yeah. she's not really going to go along with this, is she? But then there's Jewel, like, you know, big smile mm-hmm. for the owners because she's paying off her fine. She's had to scrounge off people for food. You know, this could be her big chance for redemption. Yeah. Um kind of the point where she's like well you know do i go along with it i can't say no what happens to me if i say no Mm -hmm. she can't even imagine it so she says yes and you know there's there's the owner like i love that this hurts you i love that this is a giant slap in the face not just an insult but is actually causing you like mental pain Mm -hmm. um and i'm enjoying i'm enjoying knowing that you can't say no bye they're so yeah. bad. They're Ugh. so bad. Yeah. And they're, they're so bad in a way where they're hardly ever even on the page. Yeah. Or at least, like, personally on the page. But yeah, they, they barely get any dialogue, um, but they're there kind of as the, the bars of the cage that, you know, mm-hmm. these, these, uh, these fancy pets have to live in. <laughs> Listeners, I... This is a fantastic book, and you should put it in your eyeballs immediately, post-haste. Uh, I will say there are some content warnings for bad things happening in this book. Uh, there is some blood, there is some gore, there are some big fish, uh, there is rampant capitalism. Uh, so if if that's something that's difficult I understand skipping it, but find somebody who this will work for and send them a copy. Send it to your friends, send it to your enemies. It's it's so good. Oh, thank you, Hillary. <laughs> I I uh this is like I I always rate books when I finish them on Goodreads, but I don't always leave a review and especially because I was reading this as an arc, I immediately went and left a glowing review of this book because I just knew that it needed voices behind it. Thank you. Yeah, it's well, and as you say, it can be hard for small presses to get any kind of momentum. You know, we uh, we ran a, a Kickstarter to publish the four novellas that are coming out this year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, luckily we uh, succeeded and I think even reached the stretch goal for the pins. But... Um, to get any traction with no, uh, you know, no marketing or 
publicity budget, I mean, like, you know, we, we say Neon Hemlock Press, but I think what we all really mean is Dave, because Dave yeah. is the entire press. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically Dave. It's basically Dave. <laughs> and we and it's a labor Dave, of love. we want Dave to succeed. It's, it's a labor of love, yeah, but, um, you know, there's there's capacity issues, and we don't want Dave to burn out while... Mm-hmm while trying to get people to read this and um you know and also it's my third book uh this year out of four and i am exhausted oh yeah (laughs) but uh still always up to talk uh books and literature and yeah uh, yeah (laughs) absolutely uh and i mean given what's happened with the uh threequel to uh, beneath the rising and a broken darkness, who knows? We might get something else from this world. Somebody might just call you up and say, "Hey, I want it." That would be so lovely because I think uh, all the stories are not yet squeezed out of this world. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of four books this year, uh, I know. Already How did this happen? In February of this year, we had These Lifeless Things, and then A Broken Darkness, sequel to one of my favorite horror books of the decade, uh, Beneath the Rising, in March. And then next month, we have the annual migration of clouds. Uh, Is there anything, uh, anything that you would like to pitch the listeners on for any or all of those books? (laughs) Uh, I would really love if people did read uh, These Lifeless Things, which I'm really proud of. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's an unusual, it's another novella. It's an unusual story. It's told by two narrators. Mm-hmm. Um, the audio version is fantastic, and they got two uh, voice actresses to do the audio version as well. Oh, so I really love that one. And again, it was, you know, it's quite early in the year. Um, I think it got overshadowed a little bit uh, by everything that came mm-hmm. out after that. And of course, I would really like to pitch uh, for people to buy A Broken Darkness. Otherwise, you won't know what is happening uh, next March when uh, The Void Ascendant, which is the third book in the duology, comes out. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to learn more about that, go and check out Premi on uh, Rekka and Kaylin's podcast, We Make Books. It was a fantastic episode with some of my favorite podcast people all in one podcast place. That was so much fun to record. I mean, it was so much fun to listen to, and I've done two episodes, I've been on two episodes of their show now, so I can imagine how much fun it was to actually sit down and make it happen. No, it was so funny, because, uh, yeah, we, we sat down there, and uh, Rekka was like, yeah, so, you know, we've done first book in a trilogy, we've done second book in a duology, we haven't done third book in a duology, and I was like, hang on, let me go get a drink. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I guess last last thing to pitch, of course, is the last book of the year, uh, which is The Annual Migration of Clouds, which comes out in September from ECW Press. And um, that's explicitly, uh, rather than implicitly with Offer, um, that's explicitly a climate change uh, post-disaster novella as well. Um, it, it describes pretty well what happened. Uh, it describes the effects even during the narrator's uh, lifetime. And she's only 19. And it's set about, 
I didn't put a, a date, but I think it's set about 60, 70 years uh, in the future mm-hmm. from now. So, um, you know, the implication is that when things started to get real bad, they started to get real bad real quick. Uh, yeah. Just not a couple of, you know, missteps uh, of disasters, but just at some point missing a step and just falling right down a flight of stairs. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm, I am looking forward to putting that in my eyeballs as well. Awesome. I I hope you enjoy it. I love the cover on that one, too. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, my God. Primi, before we get going, where can our listeners find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at uh, Primisaurus, which I am sure will go into the show notes because uh, not everybody knows how to spell my name. And I try to keep my website uh, reasonably up to date, and that's uh, www.primimohammed.com. Absolutely. Words, 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 words. Fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, listeners, you absolutely, if you are on the Terrible Bird site, you absolutely want to follow Premi. Uh, that is, you know, you're going to get some good Moby Dick content. You're going to get some random yelling about things it's a fun time it's 98 percent uh random shit posting and two percent moby dick shit posting i think is the current ratio because i'm trying to drive off uh followers because i feel like i have too many but uh it's not working <laughs> in fact it may be doing the exact opposite god i need a new strategy uh <laughs> i'll let you know if i figure one out okay thank you I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Primi, thank you once again so, so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, this was really fun. And uh, yeah, the chance to chat about the book was also much appreciated. Thank you. Of course. And uh, I'm sure you'll be on the show again at some point. You have too many books coming out for you not to come back. I also have more comments about things in the trunk and why they ended up in the trunk. Perfect. (laughs) Well, uh, listeners, look forward to that. Also, look forward in two weeks to Lee Harlan, who will be joining us for uh, some trunk story talk. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniacs. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember... Don't self-reject.